Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Blowing Cartridges, the gaming podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tam, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Zach Clark. So Zach, it's it's the Christmas season at the moment and we're hearing a lot of Christmas music. There's a lot of classics out there. There's some, I guess, new attempts at Christmas music that are probably falling flat, but what's your view of the music at the moment. Do you have any favourites? Look, I, I worked retail, Brendan, for at least five years, I think. Uh, so I have heard Mariah Carey probably more times than I've, you know, blinked in life. <laughs> uh, and then followed by Michael Bublé's Christmas album. So... Uh, as much as I am a, a jolly dude, I love Christmas. I have, um, I've definitely had my fill for a lifetime of certain Christmas songs. Um, I, I reckon that though, I might be starting to turn where it's getting a bit nostalgic because as time goes by, it's like ah, retail wasn't that good. As I like my memories push out all the uh, the stressful customers yelling at me because. I recommended Pokemon to their to give their like nine year old for Christmas, and they come back on Boxing Day being like, "Are you some sort of idiot? Like this game's too hard for children." And I'm just thinking, I'm sorry that your child <laughs> is dumb. <laughs> um, but anyway, that that is what it is. So yeah, I don't mind the music uh, this time of year, but I, you know, like like always, I'm still chucking on my my headphones and listening to what I like uh, that isn't Christmas music, like. You know, video game music, for example, which happens to be the topic of today. Yay! <sighs> Gasp! Well, who's what that? F- what was? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he- hello there. Uh, my name is John, and, and I saw you had a, a nice, nice looking podcast here. So I, I thought I'd heard you doing game music. So I thought I'd sit down and hear what kind of music you you got to say. Do we allow this, Zach? Do we allow randoms off the street to join our podcast? Look, we're pretty desperate, so I I think we'll let it slide. Fair enough, fair enough. Thank you for your hospitality. That's okay. Well, but anyway, welcome, John. Uh, And, you know, uh, for context, John is, for at least a friend of both Brendan and ours, and probably one of the most passionate uh, people we know about video game music and composers and all that kind of stuff. So it couldn't be a better guest, honestly, even if it was just because he broke into the recording studio, you know, for us to have on today. So thanks for um, deciding to break in. Uh, thanks for having me. Video game music is kind of the unsung haha, hero of, um, of video games. At least that's what I think in many ways. It's something that doesn't always get talked about when you're seeing reviews and that kind of stuff as an essential element, I suppose, of a game. But at the same time, uh, at least for me, has such a massive impact on, you know, how I feel and enjoying a particular game. And is something I notice super quickly. Like if music is bad, it oh, sours the experience so fast. When it's great, even a fairly mediocre game is something I want to keep playing just to to hear those tracks. Don't know. Do you guys agree? Are you big big? Uh, I, I can suspect the answer, but are you big uh, into your video game music? Yeah, I find. Uh, the music of a game is really important to how I perceive my, like how I'm going through the game at any given point in time. If you give me music that really fits the mood and it fits the emotions that the games wants me to feel, I find that I can really resonate with 
the experiences that the game's sort of telling me. Whereas conversely, if you've got just really bad music that just draws me out of the experience entirely, I can't find myself uh, able to sort of sink into it. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I echo the sentiments. I really think that a game to really succeed, it does need to have music that aids the overall experience. Even if it's a game that uses more ambient noises and sounds or one with a full-blown orchestral soundtrack, it really needs to have something underlying that helps to cohese all the different parts of the experience together. And I think that's what a successful soundtrack does. And the really successful ones, the truly successful ones are the ones that make you sit back and listen to the tracks or not even just listen to the tracks. Also, they, they'll stay with you. You'll remember certain parts of a game to that soundtrack. So, yes, you could give that soundtrack to someone and say, listen to this, it has really good music on it. They won't have the same connection as you do because you've experienced it in the form it's intended to. And I think that's what makes video game music different to other types of music out there. I think you raise a really interesting point there in terms of a soundtrack being sort of one of the very few aspects of a game that you can sort of, you can sort of just sit down and listen to it. You can, you can sort of relive those moments. You know, there's, I, I can't quite uh, take my, the button presses that I do in a, in a game and, and sort of relive that without having the game in front of me, but I could just, you know, take up my phone and, and uh, put plug my headphones in and and listen to some tracks that I've I've sort of gained these these fond memories and attachments to. Uh, I find that like when I'm working out or at the gym, like playing tracks that have sort of helped me get through tough times in games really helped me get through, uh, I guess, tough times with exercise, for example. Yeah, and I, I it's interesting because like. I definitely don't have quite the same level of affinity or experience with even listening to tracks from like, you know, movies or TV shows, even though they might have carry sort of similar, like say story elements or, or scenes that you do sort of remember fondly. But with video games, for some reason, maybe it's just the interactivity. You're actually doing something. The, the tracks just really hit harder for me. And as you said, they just sort of bring back really vivid memories of, you know, a particular scene or a particular time playing um, whatever the game it's from. Uh, and it's, it's not always an emotional game, right? It's not always, you know, uh, like your Final Fantasy VII sort of Aerith theme that's or Aerith that's, um, you know, hitting you hard and making you cry. Sometimes it's just the joy from like a, a fun platformer or something like a Mario song or a Crash Bandicoot song or something. It still brings back those emotions so easily, uh, as you pointed out, John, which I think really... I think makes them sort of special, uh, at least for those that you know of us that do play games. Yeah, that, that's that's quite true. I find uh, in in particular the the moments, the sort of songs that really uh, impact me a lot. Aside, you know, aside from the obvious ones, as you mentioned, are the really zen ones. So, for example, I really like the uh, just the basic soundtrack to Stardew Valley. Uh, a game that you know, I've, I've got a lot of fun memories playing through and farming, but like I can just sit down and just you know, out in the balcony, plug in the you know the spring theme or something like that, and it's just I guess it's because the music is part of the way the game is trying to construct this really peaceful atmosphere to you to just grow your, your garden and, and expand your farm in, 
that, yeah, I can sort of take that Zen feeling and, and sort of use that to help ground myself in a, in a busy day. No, I definitely get that sensation. And I think it, well, it goes to show one of the things that gaming music has to achieve in that in a lot of games, your the music track has to be repeated multiple times, If it's depending on the type of game, in games like your Stardew Valley and Harvest Moon and the like. A specific track will be, you'll, you'll hear it multiple times as you play that game, as you pour hundreds of hours into it, you'll always hear that same track. And I guess the composers have to be able to create a track that can be looped and it can elicit those feelings without becoming trite or annoying or you get tired of it. And that's what separates a good track from a not so good one in that context, I think. Yeah, and so that's a that's a challenge video game designers and then you know composers have had to deal with for so long right because like you know back in the day it wasn't just uh you know the fact that they expect players to be in a particular area or whatever for a long time it was you you might just only have space for a couple of songs on a Mm. on a cartridge you know you've got classic examples like your your puzzle bubble uh or bubble bubble sorry that uh has one track for that entire like 99 (laughs) levels uh, and it's a great track but what a track it is yeah it's, it's the one to have yeah, Tetris also, I would say, you know, it's the Tetris song just for the hundreds of hours people played that on their Game Boys. Um, it, it was a fantastic song to, to listen to for those few hundred hours for sure. And as you said, it's, it's probably a, a big part of why they're so skilled now at creating, you know, the ones that have been around since, since those days and people who have like learnt from them. But uh, yeah, making tracks that even though now you can have a soundtrack with 50 songs uh, on it, they still they make these ones that just work for, you know, dozens to hundreds of hours. As yeah, Stardew Valley, as you said, John, that's a that's a fantastic example of of I, I never listen to other music. I'd always listen to the soundtrack, even if it's the five hundredth <laughs> you know time that I'm I'm listening to those songs. I remember uh, last year when I started up Final Fantasy fourteen because I, I'm not super used to MMOs, so uh, I spent a lot of time when I was doing like the grinding and the quests and stuff, just sort of having YouTube videos on in the background. And I, I sort of missed a lot of the soundtrack to it uh, as a result. And I went back and, and listened to it after I'd sort of gone through a part. And I, I don't think I'd ever regretted muting the music on a thing <laughs> like so much. Like the, the tracks of that are so good. <laughs> That kind of reminds me of my days playing World of Warcraft. That That's a game that has a fantastic soundtrack as well. But some of my fond memories of music in that game is that when I was deep into that game, I I used to just have my own music playing in the background. So I saw, there's, there's certain Fleetwood Mac songs, for example, that I now associate with raiding in World of Warcraft. And that's something that I've always found quite amusing. Hopefully it's uh, not you can go your own way. <laughs> I'm slashing down Illidan in whatever in the Black Temple is just Sarah by Fleetwood Mac pops into my head. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And and another point that you sort of brought up there, Zach, that I think is really interesting is looking at the the limitations that these game composers had in, in the very early days with sort of space and. You know, you're only having a set amount of sound uh, channels on a console or to actually convey the music that you want, and you end up with these really 
creative tracks that uh, make full use of of the hardware. Uh, and you saw, I, I feel like you sort of get music from that that you wouldn't get otherwise if you sort of had that, if you didn't have those sorts of limitations. Like you look at, you know, your, your Mario tracks and your Mega Man tracks from the NES days and then the sort of the, the modern chiptune stuff that tries to harken back to it. And, you know, the modern stuff's good. It, it sort of has its own voice and, and sort of makes the use of all, all the, the the benefits of, of modern sound music. But whenever they try to sort of exactly recreate it, it feels like there's a, there's a bit of a difference there in terms of how it hits. Yeah, well, I mean, chiptunes branched out from just being a thing you did in video games because you had to to its own little subgenre of like electronic music, right? Uh, as as a result, and yeah, it's fascinating to see how in the modern day, you know, without the same constraints of memory and and you know sounds, I suppose we've seen things like Shovel Knight, for example, which obviously couldn't actually be done on an NES, but really I think captures the vibe of yeah, particularly like a Mega Man style song um, and done masterfully, or even outside of. Well, sort of outside, but inside games, things like Anamanaguchi, who, you know, basically a chiptune band, who has now obviously done video game tracks like the Scott Pilgrim um, soundtrack, uh, well, Scott Pilgrim game, I should say, how they use those bleeps and bloops in ways that just hit in, in so fantastically. And basically, it's almost like a new instrument that was created just out of necessity for video game designers to have to have some sort of sound in their games. Well... We all sort of acknowledge there's a, a massive, massive catalogue of amazing video game music from, you know, decades now. But it's really both amazing in how far we've come and how those songs can now be listened, you know, in various ways. We've got things like live concerts for various video games like Zelda, obviously, Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, Undertale just had a, a concert a couple of months ago in Japan that was streamed live around the world which is fantastic. Uh, and we're seeing, you know, some video game companies really embrace that as uh, their, their back catalogs of songs um, and putting them on Spotify and other streaming services. But on the flip side, there are others that are really making it difficult for you to listen to those songs uh, in ways that aren't just putting the video game itself in and getting to that particular section of a game. Um, obviously, a big culprit of that is Nintendo themselves, despite having probably one of the largest libraries of fantastic video game music continuously putting out copyright strikes on youtube channels while simultaneously not making any of their songs easily available outside of again the you know video games themselves and the occasional like you know smash brothers or super mario 3d all-stars which lets you use your switch as an ipod that's not going to fit in your pocket basically (laughs) so i guess i'd be keen to get your thoughts on do you reckon it's just a matter of time before every video game company is just going to have to sort of, or should make their songs readily available? Or do you think we're constantly going to be in this weird limbo phase of some really embracing their their musical history, I suppose, and others, I guess, not? <laughs> I personally don't see the situation changing anytime soon because I think it's, yes, streaming services have made it a lot easier to put your music out there, but even back in the day where game companies could put out soundtracks of their games, there were certain companies that embrace that, your Square Enixes and the like, very much put out soundtracks that you could go buy. Yes, they were mainly available in Japan. It was 
much more of a Japanese thing than a Western thing, being able to go to your music shop and pick up a video game soundtrack, OST. But with companies like Nintendo, they've always skirted that line of, they do all the copyright strikes, but as you mentioned, a lot of their music is only available in-game. There's very few of their games that they actually will do full releases of the soundtracks in physical form. They they do them occasionally for games like your Fire Emblems and Xenoblade and the like. It's even Splatoon got a OST release, but most of them don't. I've always found it quite interesting as to what makes them determine which ones they'll give a release to and not. And especially with a company like Nintendo, which rarely changes, we all know their what they do with online and the like, and they are very stubborn and they're fixing their ways and Look at how they handle the virtual console over the years. I don't see Nintendo deciding, oh, tomorrow we're going to chuck everything we have on Spotify like companies like Sega have recently, which I I think is fantastic. I was listening to some at work today and it was quite good to be able to do that. Whereas I can't decide, oh, I'm going to listen to Ocarina of Time soundtrack today. I'm just going to go on Spotify and put it on. It doesn't exist. I feel like uh, with the companies that haven't really embraced the streaming model, which yeah, I, I, I sort of agree is, is sort of the way that if they sort of would push it out towards the masses, they'd probably go towards streaming. And I wonder if it, maybe it's like a rights issue uh, sort of thing. Cause um, you know, when someone composes a piece of music, how much of, it goes how much of the the copyright behind that music is 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 the composers is the studios that they're writing it for like i'm that's uh sort of really by case by case basis uh square enix famously doesn't really like the the rights to all the songs are all mixed up between all of the uh composers and somehow they've managed to make it work for like studio releases but it sort of stranglehold them with the uh what, the, the two Final Fantasy VII songs in, in Smash Brothers uh, debacle. <laughs> Three, if you count the victory theme, I guess. But then you've got other cases like the uh, Poker Mystery Dungeon composer who's sort of wanting to release... Um, he's spoken about wanting to release a, sort of some kind of collection of the tracks from that, but he can't because they're locked up in... Uh, the rights belong to, I think, be Spikeshinsoft or something. Yeah, it, it's... It, I, I, I guess... In, in the case of something like Nintendo, it's like, you know, you've got all these games, all these, all these, uh, different composers behind them. Would you really, would you even really bother with it? I, I think it just comes down to how much effort would they have to put in to put these out and how much return do they reckon they're getting for something like this? And as much as I'd love to sort of hear sort of, you know, I'll, I'll have all the Mario stuff up on Spotify. I, uh, not sure if that's, uh, yeah, happening anytime soon. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point, John, about the um, different rights because that's that's probably something where if you're just more a traditional musician and it's just you and your label and, and that's about it, um, you don't have to. There's a lot less parties that you need to consult with and get permission. Whereas, yeah, when when the composer has some rights and maybe the company has some rights, it can be quite a bit of a messy argument. I mean, one of the most I think infamous examples back to Square Enix is the composer of the Dragon Quest. Um, uh, soundtracks and he he just has a stranglehold over what they can do to the point where you know I think Dragon Quest uh, Eleven had a, originally a pretty poor soundtrack because uh, he wouldn't give them the rights to use orchestral versions despite the fact 
orchestral versions of those songs existed and were on a, a CD that came with, I think, the collector's edition or something. Yeah, crazy stuff like that. And I mean, uh, and Brendan, you also brought up a good point, which is there are actually quite, like, when I, so I've been to Japan a, a few times and I always go to Tower Records because in, it's like, imagine a three or four story CD shop, basically, which no longer exists in the Western world for the most part, but they have a video game soundtrack, like, aisle, which is just the, you talk to anyone from Australia and probably even America, that concept's mind-boggling because, you know, you're lucky if you maybe find one video game soundtrack, like, at a at a, um, a JB Hi-Fi. I mean, right now, I think you can get Untitled Goose Game on uh, on vinyl at JB, but that's that's about it. But yeah, like, the CD market there for video game soundtracks massive, and it just sadly hasn't ever really transitioned to the West, where I think it's just the options have been way, you know, more restrictive to how we can purchase legally um, or even just listen to legally uh, video game songs other than the glory days of, of YouTube uh, before before copyright strikes became as prevalent as they are. And even then, let's be honest, I have yet to still find a video game song I can't find on YouTube if I, if I search. They might hit the big channels, but somebody tends to re-upload it pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, I'd, I'd mention a couple of my, my, my favorites, but... They've been struck before, and and uh, I'd, I'd be worried they get struck again for the you know the all, all the Nintendo employees that enjoy your podcast. Yeah, the the, the apparently all of Nintendo <laughs> listens. That, that's that's what I'm told by by Brendan. And Brendan, you wouldn't lie to me, would you? No, I wouldn't. I, I control all the metrics, as you know, and yeah. they're all reliable. We're, we're bigger than Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh, well, it's good to know. Glad we're such a big hit. Um, does that mean we get a do I do I get a paycheck soon? Yeah, that means Spotify's about to buy us out for a hundred million. Sweet, can't wait. Do I get some of the cut if I'm here when they when the deal gets done? Or yeah, we'll we'll give you a couple of dimes. Founding one share in the business, but you know, speaking of Spotify, why don't we take a page out of Spotify's book and stream uh, or add into this podcast rather some of our favorite video game tracks in a way that I am not sure is legal, but it's probably fine. <laughs> Oh, we don't monetize this, so we're not going to get struck, so all is well in the world. Yep, it's uh, fair use, I'm pretty sure. Go with that. (laughs) Exactly. So, what we've decided to do today is each of us have brought three tracks to the the mix, one of which is a track from this year, 2020, because, you know, honestly, every year has great music, um, but I definitely feel like 2020 is one of the better years. Maybe it's just because it's all recent, but there's some great stuff. Oh, it really has. And looking at the list of music we've brought along, we've missed some great soundtracks. Like, just off the top of my head, things like Animal Crossing, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Paper Mario, Origami King had one of the one of my favourite soundtracks, actually, I, I can think of as a, as a cohesive whole. And so it, it's just been a really strong year, I think. I also need to uh, shout out uh, Doom Eternal. Uh, Mick Gordon oh, yes. did some... I know there was some... Uh, controversies uh, around the <laughs> original mixing of I think on the soundtrack was really bad or something, but some of those tracks are, are fantastic, and I'm always quite proud's the wrong word, but impressed by the way that Mick Gordon took this. You know, I, you've got this iconic franchise with an iconic sort of MIDI rock sound to it, and then just completely reinvent it and make it your own and such that you know you you hear that kind of track and you're like this is doom yeah he's 
definitely a talented uh, Australian <laughs> um, composer. Uh, and yeah, I, I remember when um, the first PAX Australia was on going to his panel, which was, I think it was working on the Killer Instinct remake, or not remake, the Killer Instinct, whatever the Xbox One version's called. Just Killer Instinct. Yeah, that we call it 2017 or Reboot, I don't know. It's got to have some name. Anyway, when he was recording that and he needed like people to do chanting in the uh, in the crowd to use for one of the themes that later made it into the game. And um, yeah, he's definitely has a really good uh, track record of making these super modern, super funky, super metal kind of soundtracks, both yeah, obviously with the two Doom games and even to an extent Killer Instinct with its sort of rock and roll, tear people apart, combo breaker style sounds. So yeah, unfortunately not featured in any, any of our lists, but definitely worth listening to. I think his stuff's on Spotify, at least some of it. So, you know, look it up. We'll start with our 2020 tracks before we move on to, we've both just all picked two general tracks as well, just through out the history of games that really stick out to us. Not necessarily our favorites, but it's, you know, ones we like. But starting with 2020, I've actually gone with an Australian composer, kind of like Mick Gordon. Honestly, it was down the wire to two. Uh, if I can shout out my runner-up, it was uh, the main theme song from Moving Out, which was an Australian indie game. Uh, and if you like sort of 80s pop rock vibes, definitely check out the, the Moving Out theme song and then play the game because it's a great game. But the actual song uh, I went with was from Necro Barista, which is a fun little visual novel that came out a couple of months ago. And the music in the game is primarily done by Kevin Penkin and Jeremy Lim. Uh, and Kevin, quite coming quite a renowned composer, actually, working not just in video games, but even anime, which I found surprising because the idea of some uh, an Australian, I think in, he was in Perth, maybe he's moved since then, but <laughs> composing for anime was a very foreign concept to me. I'm sort of just assumed that almost all anime soundtracks are, are by well Japanese people if I'm being honest uh, so was very fascinated to discover he worked on you know quite a number of shows that I've watched over the years but the song is called Spill the Coffee was very groovy zach it is a very groovy track and i think that's why it appeals to me quite a lot so i mean the whole soundtrack of necro barista is 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 worth a listen and the game is worth a play 
But yeah, what I like about this is is not only how it takes good advantage of those kind of electronic beats, which are obviously sort of unique to electronic music and heavily featured in video games, but uh, it's just got a good jive to it. Like, you can sort of just bop your head to it, and it changes kind of like pace quite a lot with some different, you know, electronic sort of in sounds and that kind of thing as, as you progress the song. And it just makes... When the song plays in the context of the game, as you're listening to these three little sort of robot dudes to just have weird little comedy sort of skits for the, for the most part, uh, and it just makes a perfect little background um, sound for their, their sort of jolly slash silly interludes uh, between the main sort of sections of the story. Uh, John, I know you played Necro Barista. Uh, I don't know if this is a track that stood out to you when playing the game the same way it stood out to me. Yeah, no, it, it very much did. This one uh, is one of my favourites up there with the... I can't remember the name of it, but it's the it's the one that plays when you're uh, looking through the the side stories. And uh, it, it's just sort of like this nice, nice electric guitar, uh, very smooth jazz, I guess, instrumentation with a sort of very uh, chill vibes uh, all around. I think what I like about this one in particular is because... Necrobrist is very much uh, this main setting is this cafe area and, and thus a lot of the soundtrack uh, has a very uh, chill vibe to it very uh, good study music uh, if, if you will and then you've got this it sort of like gives you a nice pump full of energy in, in between the, the various story moments within the game and so I think it works really well as it's both a good track and it works really well as sort of a way to, to grab your attention and give you give you a bit of energy uh, after some after some good story bits. Yeah, kind of a appropriate given again the title "Spill the Coffee." I guess spill the coffee into your ears and that gives you energy. I don't know. We'll go with that. <laughs> Spilling coffee would involve a lot more screaming than this track. I think. Yeah, no, it's actually quite a, a jolly track, uh, but you can sort of get that chaotic vibe of like, ah, oh, crap, we spilled the coffee, you got to clean it up uh, a little bit with it as well. I like emotional songs. I like chill songs, like you said, John, but I also like really sort of upbeat, sort of jolly songs, and I, I think that's that's what really appeals to me uh, with this particular one, so it's sort of why I went with it. Uh, and also, again, just to highlight, a, a fantastic uh, soundtrack composed, again, by... Australians, which I think stands up there with um, quite a lot of the AAA songs from from around the world this year. So definitely had to give it a a shout out on the podcast. But, you know, John, as our guest, why don't you go next with your your track of the day? Sure thing. Um, Before I I jump into my 2020 track, I also want to just give a quick shout out to to sort of, there's been some really good uh, Australian uh, games coming out in 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 the last especially the last two years because you know i've got like untitled goose game and 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 all that last year and and then stuff like necrobarista and moving out and uh boomerang foo's got some nice stuff and ring of pain of course with the friend of the show and all has some really nice tracks to it too and it's just sort of really cool seeing all of these uh australian games and australian uh game composers really starting to make a name for themselves and starting to really get noticed uh at a more international level and so I really hope that sort of continues to, to happen as, as the industry sort of grows down here. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, we're a, a land of a lot of talented people and 
often overlooked. Well, we were often overlooked when, you know, you're basically forced to move overseas to do any of these kind of jobs. But thankfully, through the joys of remote work and a bit of a boom in indie development here, we've we've seen quite a lot of, you know, fantastic soundtracks. And if we look past, you know, well, earlier than this year, 2019, and I sort of mentioned it before, but Untitled Goose Game, uh, I believe that's nominated for an ARIA this year, which which is um <laughs> it is uh, fascinating. Who would have thought the ARIAs are still relevant? Yeah, and it, it, it kicks. Yeah, I kicked myself a little bit. I was very close when we were running C to get Dan Golding, who was the composer of that soundtrack, to do a speech <laughs> for the club. But because uh, I think he was studying at Melbourne at the time, um, one of his thesis or something. But I never never came together timing wise. So kicking myself, I never got the opportunity to meet him. Now that he's more famous than he was back then, but oh, is what it is. <laughs> so yes. All right, so with my 2020 track, I've gone with a game that's very near and dear to my heart, 13 Sentinels Aegis's Rim. The soundtrack is composed by Hitoshi Sakimoto, who's probably most well known for Final Fantasy Tactics. He's sort of an ex-Square composer who's uh, come on and joined uh, VanillaWare with this project. Uh, so the game itself is sort of split up into two separate parts there's like a visual novel part and then there's more of a like a turn-based strategy slash tower defense part when you're in mechs and fighting a bunch of of evil kaiju and there's also a bunch of time travel involved and i bring this up because the song that i've got here very aptly named to the final battle uh, it has a lot of very strong orchestral sound to it so very strong strings very strong drum very wailing horns but it's also got this sort of synth undertones and I'll, I'll talk a bit more about it after after the track there's a lot it, just the way that the those two sort of mix together sort of makes me think of how the game itself has these very two separate sort of, sort of visual novelty part and then like a giant mechs fighting kaiju part that uh, sort of blend together as well.
Yeah, I can definitely see what you mean, John, uh, about the sort of, I assume, intentional sort of transition from those sort of more orchestral classical instrument tones to to this uh, synth sort of way beats further into the song and it sort of alternates in and out, which, as you said, really suits. I, I've played 13 Sentinels as well. I haven't finished it yet, unfortunately, but um, suits that, that time travel theme quite well and that mix of um, I think the 40s is about as early as it goes uh, in Japan and then uh, these giant mechs which obviously from much 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 further in the future it definitely carries that vibe quite strongly and it definitely captures that idea of to the final battle you can sense that ominous tone to the music and there's sort of a crescendo building it very much captures that feeling yeah and to put the song in a, in a bit of context, this one uh, sort of plays, traditionally plays at the end of uh, a, a character's route uh, as the their part of the visual novel story lines up with the destruction, the, the mech fighting part of, of the story. So whilst the whole visual novel part does have some synth undertones, uh, especially like the, the 40s and the, the 80s parts of the plot, definitely feature a lot more traditional instrumentation and then the the synth stuff sort of comes in with more future parts with the uh well when the the sentinels themselves are sort of brought up but then the destruction part uh i couldn't include those songs because they're all like six to eight minutes long <laughs> um they're all like these really nice synth parts of these very warm waves of, of synth and then these also like really sharp spotty sort of almost percussiony uh synths uh, being added to them and so I find that this track, because it's being played as a bridge between the two parts, uh, that sort of further cements its place as sort of merging the entire game together into this big, climactic, very bombastic piece of music. I can definitely see it. Like, it really does feel cult, like what I imagine quite the culmination of, of experiencing all those those different scenes so it's interesting so if, if you're saying this is sort of like for every i think if we can say there's 13 characters without that being a spoiler giving the title of the game yeah. um <laughs> each of their stories so it's not like it's it's not just like the final boss but potentially i guess the final 13 versions of the boss or whatever you want to call it again i haven't got to the end so don't don't worry people i'm not spoiling anything yeah don't worry i'm i'm trying to stay very spoiler free this is not a game that I won't spoiled in any way, shape, or form. Just uh, th- this track was so perfect, I couldn't not include it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think it's interesting as well because um, obviously 13 Sentinels, half visual novel, half RTS, I suppose, or, or at least strategy game. It's so hard to define it, but yeah. Yeah, and I'm not too sure. And then obviously I brought Necro Barista, also a, a visual novel game. Um, I, I definitely find visuals, these really story-based games I don't know if they lean heavier on their soundtracks, but I feel like they definitely put a much larger emphasis on their certain, you know, soundtracks to bring out those emotional elements. Uh, and, and I can definitely see how this would do that, both in motivating you to, to succumb that final final challenge, uh, but also, again, give you that bit of a, I would imagine a bit of a nostalgic feel of like, yes, I've gotten through all this time to see this through to the finish. Yeah, uh, very much so. I think with visual novels in particular, because if you, you sort of take a look at a game as, as like a holistic part, you've got you know, the music, you've got the art, you've got the sort of the writing and, and the gameplay, and 
if some of those parts are uh, if you don't have to focus as much on some of the other parts, I feel like your mind focuses on other parts of it more. So like with the visual novel, you know, the gameplay is, is quite simple. So it lets me take in the music and the, and the writing and the, and yeah, especially in Burning Sentinels, the art uh, a lot more. And so it's, I feel like that sticks in my mind uh, a lot heavier because of that. And you, you look at like, say like a character action game, like your Bayonetta, um, which I almost brought where, once again, I quite like the music in that. And I, I think, you know, there's, when you're fighting, you've got, I'm focusing on the gameplay and the art and the, the and the music, but the, because there's less writing in the actual combat sections of the game, then I can focus on the music a lot more because I've got slightly less to focus on the other parts of the game. There's different genres that very much use music in different ways. And there'll be some genres where, you're very much focused on the music because, well, it's a visual novel, it's narrative-based, or there's going to be other genres that are well, first-person shooters or third-person shooters and action games, as you mentioned, where it's just part of the experience. It washes over you. And to transition into my pick, I think my pick captures that in some ways because it's a battle theme from a... Well, it's a boss battle theme from a JRPG, Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connected, from the additional part of the game they added to definitive edition that released in March this year. And a battle theme in an RPG very much straddles that line between wanting to be memorable because, well, you're doing a final battle. This this is the culmination of the entire game. But on the other hand, you need to focus on the battle. You need to focus on defeating this big challenge. So there's those various dynamics at play. And I think the frenetic nature of this track, Fog Beast Battle, which was composed by Ace Plus and Minami Kyoto, very much harnesses that potential, and I'd love to hear what you guys think of it after listening to it.
That piano player sounds like they are in a battle of their own <laughs> with, with the instrument in a, in a good way. Oh. When's the last time you heard a dueling piano and violin going at it? Yeah, I know. That, um, that, was, that was intense in a good way. Uh, I can get what you mean. It really um, carries the like frantness of a, of a Xenoblade fight, I would say, uh, in a real fantastic way. You know, I've just always loved how willing Japanese composers in particular are to use prog rock because you you don't see that as much in Western video games, but especially in JRPGs, they very much embrace it. And I personally love that genre and I think they do it so effectively and it very much suits the genre itself. So I hope it never goes away personally. A very interesting thing with uh, how... Especially with a JRPG like Xenoblade Chronicles, where the because it's it's not quite turn-based, but the you're still hitting buttons to do actions rather than being like a proper character action fighting uh, game, like say Final Fantasy XV is. Uh, the gameplay itself feels uh, a bit slower and I, th- I think the franticness of the battle themes really helps keep up the tempo and keep up the adrenaline whilst you're fighting. Exactly, and I think that's what the genre does so well that you almost get that second wind. You almost you, you get that sensation of if you fail, if you lose the battle, you want to jump right in again and do it again. And Well, I had that experience in Future Connected. I failed it a few times and I just kept on going at it and that's why that song sticks into your head and songs that have longer length to them especially boss fights sometimes you you get that sensation of oh you've reached a part of the song you haven't before you you must be getting close to the end of the boss or the music changes there's a different phase and you're, you're that tension heightens and you get that sense of oh i'm so close i'm close to achieving my goal i'm close to finishing the game and i i think that's what this sort of music does so well oh my god the 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 moment when you're fighting a boss and the music changes and you get to let the next form is the best feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they bring in like the choirs and the strings and it's just yeah. like, oh, oh man, oh, what is yes. this? What is this? Yeah, the, the layering in of those extra elements really, uh, really always hype, brings up the hype. I know whether it's uh, dynamic in the game, Brendan, or not, but uh, it definitely felt like that listening to this version of the song it, it sort of layered up as as the song progressed yeah I, I don't think it is for memory i don't think it is particularly dynamic but it does just it builds up and then it loops after a while uh something that i find really interesting about this track as well as uh, some of the work that i think it was ace uh, did on torn in the golden country uh, the dlc to xenoblade chronicles 2 is how how it how Xenoblade it feels, yet how different it feels to the stuff they were writing ten years ago with Xenoblade Chronicles One. Like you take this and compare it to They Will Know Our Names uh, or Mechanical Rhythm, and, and you know those are very much harder rock songs. With you know, the guitars, are, the, these wailing guitars are just the main focus of the tracks. And yet, you know, the Tornith battle theme and, and this the Fog Beast battle theme, there's it's sort of the piano and the violin and, and the other lighter instruments are really leading the way. And even at the end of this track where the guitar kicks in and goes 
you know, full pelt, it still feels like the piano is sort of leading the way that the, the guitar is sort of shredding. No, I definitely agree. And that is the sense of the soundtrack as a whole for Future Connected. The the main battle theme very much is a, it's a lighthearted battle theme. It's not sort of full in your face as some of the Xenoblade Chronicle ones were. And that's what I find really fascinating about this soundtrack particularly. It very much shows the evolution of Ace Plus's composers. And I think that's an important thing to remember that music composers in general, they, they do evolve. They don't always just churn out the same music constantly. I'm, well, there are composers that do that, but I think the truly gifted ones are ones that are always seeking to innovate and evolve. And, you know, what f- more fitting way to show how far Xenoblade Chronicles 1 has sort of... The Xenoblade series has come over these 10 years than to come back to the original and create these new tracks for the the new uh, add-on to the, the remaster and, and sort of show how far you've come. So one of the sort of points that was brought up with the, the Fog Beast battle, and, and as Brennan pointed out, this track doesn't really have much about it, but uh, it got me thinking is the way that video game music can sort of be dynamic. And, uh, you know, games are an interactive medium, and one of the strengths of having an interactive medium is that your music can be interactive as well. And so uh, my next pick actually... Uh, relates to that uh, it is the song sailing with the coffee pirates from wonder song a game that i, I played last year and uh, really enjoyed my time with it the composer is a small team called a shell in the pit and this song plays in the second act where you're with a bunch of pirates who exclusively trade coffee and this is sort of like the overworld theme you're on their ship and sailing around um, so there's sort of three loops to this song. The first one is what is in the game. You're just standing still and it's just this nice guitar. But when you start moving the ship around, all of the pirates and, 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 and your character, the bard, sort of join in and, and, and sing along. And you sort of see how the song lays upon itself through the successive loops uh, as, as it goes through. So, What's up with the coffee theme tonight? It's prevalent. Yeah, two coffee songs.
So one of the first things that I really like about this track is it makes me feel a lot better about my own singing voice. Oh um, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I was tempted to like, are we meant to join in? Like, la 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 la. That's the what sound. I really like about the song, though, is that it has that really like catchy sort of. It's the kind of song that makes you want to sing along, and that really uh, works for a game like Wonder Song, where it's it's all about bringing everyone together and 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 sort of. Harmony through song is is it's sort of literally what it's going for, but there's especially in this part, it's it's sort of used as as a way of bonding with these characters really quickly. In the moment of the game, makes it uh, it, it it makes it's a very endearing uh, sort of uh, point in the game. And what I personally love about this track, from never having played the game, is that. From a musical standpoint, it seems like they've taken motifs from musically pirate music. Your, if you think of pirate music, you think of your sea shanties and you think of your Pirates of the Caribbean and that sort of music. And this takes that thematic style and inverts it. And instead of being this boisterous sort of ex- musical experience, it's very much more of a chilled, laid-back one. And I think that's what you really get when it hits that vocal part of the track in that it's sort of like a sea shanty, but a, a really chill, laid-back sea shanty. And I think that's one of the reasons why you get that urge to join in on it. That it, it has that aspect of a sheet sea shanty of something fun to sing along with, but it's a completely different vibe. Yeah, it definitely hasn't got quite the rough and tumble sort of vibe of a, of a normal classic pirate sea shanty. Like a, you know, drunken sailor kind of thing. But yeah, you definitely hit those notes at the parts with the strings and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big sucker for vocal things in video game music, even if it's not spoken word, but just grunts and, and, and weird sort of sounds as it sort of was in this case. Uh, and particularly as it progresses up from just a, you know, a couple of instruments uh, at the start to uh, a number more instruments and what, maybe like six or so different characters I, I would have thought singing if i was keeping track i think it's actually six yeah oh what a guess see this is the, the, the ears they're they're on point really really good one uh and yeah as, as brendan said really chill as well like uh, you can sort of just see yourself on a nice uh spring day in a boat kind of like bob- bobbing away and uh and singing this this tune so something that this song showcases that a lot of the soundtrack doesn't uh, due to the nature of the game is Wonder Song is a game where your main way of interacting with the world is through singing uh, so that the main character uh, your the right stick of your controller is uh, mapped to the main character's singing and pressing a direction makes him sing in one of there's about eight different notes you can sing at a time and they take that concept and they use it in a bunch of really interesting ways so this game in particular uh, you know we're talking about video game music really explores uh, how you can interact with the music as well as uh, what different sort of things you can do if, if you sort of control one of the instruments in the game itself so for example sometimes you're singing a song earthbound style uh singing a, a piece of, of the melody you need to save the world 
sometimes you're just singing you're on a plant and you're singing upwards because you need to grow the plant upwards and the music sort of rises with you as you're doing that and so it's it's sort of a really interesting experience uh, from a from a gameplay perspective because the music and the gameplay are so entwined it sort of makes it i mean i again i haven't played the game but i can see what you mean i, I can sort of think of i mean not quite the same but like it's like a rhythm heaven or a rhythm fever or rhythm paradise it goes like 50 different names I think, depending on where you are but those kind of like they've got their song and then depending on how uh, you time your your actions in the game you're either you're fully in sync and it plays as intended or it can sound a bit off and that kind of stuff so i would imagine uh yeah how you sing in this game could sort of drastically change up the uh the flow and the feel of of the end product which probably isn't quite conveyed to us through the more linear youtube progression i suppose that we just listen to yeah it's it's a game that if if you're interested in in figuring out how the music really works i'd I'd recommend either looking through a let's play or picking up yourself and sort of seeing how it it all interacts um but to just quickly jump onto your, your rhythm game comment one of the worst feelings in gaming for me is like in rock band where you're off the notes and you're just hearing like horribly off-key guitar sounds <laughs> and you can't hear the main guitar riff and everyone's looking around and going wait why can't i hear the guitar riff and it's just the shame in that moment is just nothing motivates me to want to want to get better more than than not hearing the song properly <laughs> yeah i definitely appreciated uh i can't remember which i feel like either the guitar hero rock band or both at some point added in like an option to turn <laughs> turn off the uh the music dropping out in when playing a more casual multiplayer session which was for me who was never great at those games definitely a um a godsend to not ruining it for everyone else <laughs> to take a completely different turn musically my next choice is one of my favorites for my childhood actually both of my next two choices are favorites for my childhood growing up gaming but the first one is from, I think, it's still one of my all-time favourite games. It's And it has a fantastic name as well. It's called Taser, and it's one of the tracks that plays in Age of Empires 2 when you're, well, when you're playing a match. I think somewhat random what music track you'll get in an Age of Empires 2 match in the campaign mode that was sort of thematic based on what campaign mission you're on. But otherwise, I think they cycle through maybe it's based on map i'm not sure but what i really like about this music is it's something that we spoke about at the very start of this episode in that for a lot of games the musical track has to be repeatable it has to loop quite often and it has to be able to not i guess lose its significance lose its what makes it a good track over those constant plays and you very much get that in an rts where well a, a match in an rts game can go from anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours, depending on how many people are playing, the quality of the players and whatnot. And I think that's what this music captures is that you just get the vibe of this is a, this hypes you up, but it's also something that doesn't overstay its welcome. It It's not too bombastic. It doesn't grate on your nerves if you're listening to the loop on its fifth time, on its 10th time, on its 20th time. It's still, it still stays with you and... I think that's why it's to this day is still one of my favorites.
could be I've played Age of Empires, uh, mostly multiplayer. This is not a song I would have picked as coming from Age of Empires, other than maybe the start of it, which which started very medieval. But um, yeah, that it was good. <laughs> it very much has that not pure medieval sense to it, but it, it sounds like something you'd find at a Renaissance fair or an event like that. It very much has those medieval or 15th century sort of vibes to it. It it, it doesn't use those traditional instruments for the most part, but it does sound like something not of this era, and that's it, it does fit Age of Empires in many ways because I guess Age of Empires is about a continuum of ages from spanning from the Dark Ages to your well, quote-unquote Imperial Ages, sort of probably well, early Gunpowder Age. So you do get that in a, a way, I think. Speaking of era, uh, like different musical eras, I know that like a lot of Egyptian artists and stuff focus on you know more like eight bit and sixteen bit music, but I'd love to see some uh, music that focuses on like the early two thousands era Windows MIDI instruments, because as like as soon as I started hearing the the opening notes, I was just instantly transported back into back into time to uh, listening to to all these sort of uh, MIDI tracks uh, growing up and, and, and stuff. It's just absolutely timeless. And the way that uh, these instruments are handled in a track like this, like I've, I've heard a lot, a lot of different like covers and stuff back in the day of, you know, people trying to do the Murray thing with this kind of instrumentation and it all sounds a bit all right, but you know, not as good as, as the original thing, but it's masterfully used here. Like the, the, the way the notes are, uh, don't never hang for, for any real length of time. The the way that the drum sort of changes up its beats, it's it's it it just creates this really interesting track. Like I could, as you were sort of saying before, the we played it. I could definitely hear, listen to this for for quite a long time whilst playing Age Empires. And I think ultimately that's why I love it so much in that it has so many shifts. It changes its tone and variation constantly almost. There's so many different progressions and phases to it, especially I love that last 30 seconds of that song that it, it basically goes back to the the slowness of the very beginning. It sort of builds our crescendos and it goes back down and it en- ends up the first few notes of that first crescendo and and then it loops again. And I think that's what makes it work and that's what makes it so memorable yeah it's almost like by the time you know you've come back around to a section of that song you're ready for it again like you know you got your feel you went back to the other parts and then it comes around you're like oh yeah i can i can go this (laughs) this section of the song again i'm ready for this even though it's only what like a three minute song and you probably loops over a dozen times in a single age of empire session or match I can see how it's, it's almost like having a, a little mini album that just kind of resets over and over again. Also, Age of Empires series in general just knocks it out of the park with the song names. Yeah. what well, I don't even understand what Taser means in this context. It's probably really obvious, but I, I'm just it's going over my head. <laughs> As an Age of Empires studio aficionado, I have no idea, Zach. If I remember correctly, uh, the tracks in... I think it's Age of Empires, uh, especially like one and two, uh, basically have no relevance to the songs themselves. They're just 
titles that the composers thought would be good or funny. I feel like it's probably a very clever in-joke that only makes sense to the <laughs> development team, most likely. <laughs> the rest of us. One of them got tased mid-development. Yeah. <laughs> and they commemorated <laughs> it with this song. The ballad of of Jeff, who got tased whilst working on Asia Empires. Yeah, we, one night, Jeff and I, we went to the pub and things got a bit rowdy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it didn't end well. It didn't end well. But here's a, here's a track for it. It sounds like, you know, when, when you've got someone uh, like playing a live set of their music and they're explaining the songs. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guy, guy up there with like a harpsichord and a panpipe. It's just like, this one goes out <laughs> to my mate Jeff. Oh, poor May Jeff. He, you know, have good nights in jail <laughs> while he waits for his sentence to be um, uh, reduced after doing some inappropriate things and getting tased by a cop. But, you know, Jeff clearly needed a lawyer. What a segue. There's only one lawyer that matters when it comes to video games, and that uh, also happens to have a banging uh, set of soundtrack across uh, his series of games, and that is Phoenix Wright, of course. I didn't intend to pick two sort of visual novel-style games, but I've, I've done it <laughs> by accident. And while I could absolutely pick uh, over a dozen tracks from across that series or even um, other games by um, the composer Masakazu Sugimori, um, like, you know, Ghost Tricks, also fantastic. I had to go with my personal favorite from the first Phoenix Wright game, which is just the Pursuit or Cornered themed when you've, uh, you know, you've got that bad guy on stand and you're about to piece together the final bit of evidence to to put them away uh, or you know win your case and get them locked up and going on trial this is the song that plays and it is it's good it's great and i think it also is another good example of um using some sort of chip toony but not you know more 16-bit 32-bit sort of sounds uh from the game boy advance i suppose when it originally came out to make such a i think a, a extremely hype and in uh energizing song so Let's uh let's get riled up to put some bad guys in jail.
doesn't that just make you feel like you've won a court case just by listening to that like right then and there like you you're just a genius uh in the defense box just you know slamming out facts and making everyone in the uh the jury uh or the judge just you know blowing their minds like doesn't that just give you that sense <laughs> i don't know what kind of crimes i've committed but as long as I get to hit this theme, then that's all right. <laughs> yeah, if, if this is the music that I hear when I'm being dragged away to jail, that, that's okay. I'll, I'll go join our good friend Jeff. <laughs> just <laughs> Jeff. Bunk, bunk with Je- Jeff in jail. It's a, it's a good idea. But yeah, I mean, I, I think what I love about this song is, you know, if you listen to it, obviously it loops pretty quickly. It's actually quite, quite a short song in that sense. But in the context of again you've, you've sort of come to the end of a trial uh and it, it really does a great job of hyping up that sense of you know that one last push you need to to get to the end of the of the game i suppose and and clinch the case and just sort of have the sort of like the the, the, the neural network in your brain connect all the dots to <laughs> to find all the evidence and go here's here it is here's how that thing you thought was your perfect alibi falls apart through these <laughs> random set of evidence that I've collected in this game. <laughs> and also, I think it's just an impressive uh, feat of, again, using Game Boy Advance uh, hardware to produce quite, quite a fantastic song, because I think the GBA is kind of known to have not the best sound quality, but again, with the right composer, and we'll, I think later in the show we'll get some other examples uh you you can still pull out some fantastic music from that little machine uh that honestly stands up against some of the you know orchestral versions of this track and and other tracks as still worth listening to uh in my personal opinion one of the things i really like about this track is how I think there's five instruments in it, and it's still, it still—it feels like it can fill up an entire room. You've—you've you've kind of got the drum underlying that everything's following under. Then you've got the—the uh, the bass and the electric piano, which are sort of at the same tempo pretty much the entire time, I think. And then you've got the lead synth, and you've got like the stringy second synth, and they're sort of in sync, but then the second one just goes ham halfway through because it can. And yeah, just a go back into like the you know the limitations of the of the Game Boy Advance the it just it just works so well that when you remix it or you you reorchestrate it or, or what have you, you really don't need to do much to it to keep that essence alive I agree wholeheartedly and I think it goes to show that the GBA gets a lot of hate for its sound chip there's a lot of people that criticize a lot of the Super Nintendo ports on the GBA because the soundtrack isn't as good as the Super Nintendo versions due to the sound chip in the GBA being inferior, but I think it shows that for the, a lot of the original games on the GBA, they, the composers managed to use the sound chip in very interesting ways and in very effective ways. You see that in or the Ace Attorney games, you see that in John's final pick for today, and you see that in other games like how for Donkey Kong Country 3 they redid the entire soundtrack for the GBA and that's a soundtrack that is different to the Super Nintendo version of the game but stands on its own as well and it has some special moments in it as well so it goes back to one of our earlier points in that a lot of these composers were geniuses in how they were able to 
harness and utilize the limitations of whatever system they were using to still create memorable and effective tracks and i think that's what we have here it's a fantastic one that you could listen to for the full 20 minutes of this of the link that zach (laughs) sent us like you wouldn't get tired of it i don't think It, it might be something you'd have on in the background and not listen to it like straight like just sitting down with your eyes closed focused on it but it has that quality about it that you'd want to listen to it yeah i can definitely if i need that final push to like you know do some sort of piece of work or study um or get through a last few sets at a gym something like this can sort of get me there because i don't know whether it's just the context of where it plays in the game or, or the upbeat nature of it that if it just was very motivating for me for like that one final push to complete whatever i'm doing uh and it's something i go back to a lot and uh yeah i mean as you said brendan the gba without that we wouldn't have had the you know pokemon trumpet meme that uh that occurred through their overuse of uh <laughs> or, or maybe the right amount of use of trumpets in pokemon ruby and sapphire which is an interesting um case of where, <laughs> where they worked around to uh what worked for that hardware i suppose to make a i, I thought a good soundtrack back in the day but yeah it's it's a sort of magical little handheld uh, in that way you can never have too many trumpets <laughs> it's funny you guys bring up the the Game Boy Advance Pokemon games because um, I feel like you know, I've, I've listened heavily to the originals and I've listened heavily to the remakes uh, you know Mega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire and they've, hand- they've handled a lot of those tracks really well especially the town themes sound fantastic on the 3DS but I feel like a lot of the, the route themes, like Route 110, I think it is, um, is one of my favorites in the original one because it's just, you know, it's loud and bombastic and the trumpets are in your ear, but it feels like a grand adventure type of song. And then because, almost because the, the, the brass is a lot more subdued in the remakes, it just doesn't feel the same. <laughs> it sort of loses a bit of its punch in translation. So I feel like, yeah, a lot of the... You, if you've got these limitations, you just sort of got to embrace it and kind of make it part of your identity. So, just a quick question to everyone: Does every does anyone have uh, another version of this theme? Because this is, you know, one of the most remix themes out there. Does anyone have a favorite version of this theme aside from this one that they that they can think of? Yeah, I mean, it's probably um, an obvious one, but I, I've listened to the. It was like a Phoenix Wright Orchestra CD that I think came out oh, probably like 10 years ago at this point now, um, which combines this with the, I think the at least up to Apollo Justice equivalents uh, of, of this cornered slash pursuit uh, song, because I think each game has a different song, but for the same you know type of scene. And I love that. I, I, could, I listen to that sort of medley, I suppose quite a lot and uh, I've, I've been keen to see them do it I think they probably have actually done another one with all six or even seven or eight games if you count the spin-offs because uh, they all have some fantastic clutch moment sort of songs in them and it was, you know I just went with the original one because it's it's the classic but all, all of them are worth listening to it's funny you bring up spin-offs I think I can't decide but I think my favourite's either the one from Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright, where they just go full in on the, on the almost like Layton-esque uh, strings and stuff, and, and it feels it's got a real punch to it. Or 
the Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 version, uh, which is just like a straight up like electronic synth, super fast version of this, and that's purely because it only plays uh, like Phoenix Wright and Marvel vs. Capcom 3 is pretty bad character until you get into I think it's called Turnabout mode, and then this theme starts playing, and then he's the strongest, he's like one of the best characters of the game, and your opponent's just like uh oh, <laughs> and it just it's the perfect just sort of music and and and, and gameplay sort of sandwich it's, it's a delicious delicious sandwich there's a lot of lot of games i could talk you know make the same comment for but the, the ma- one of the main motivators i want phoenix right and smash is just to hear other composers take on phoenix right songs because i'd love to see you know i don't know like a you like a say like oh what's what's his name who's the guy that does streets of rage yuzo kashiro oh. yeah yeah, I'd love to see like a Yuzo Koshiro take on like Phoenix Wright or or even something just weird and wild. Like it's sometimes it's the weirdest matchings. Like if you listen to the Smash Ultimate soundtrack of like like the guy that did uh, the Daytona USA theme song does like a, a take on F Zero, and it's just like man, that's wild. Like it's just such you can sort of see their like composer traits come out in these songs originally composed by other people, and it's fantastic. So. Yeah, come on, add Phoenix to Smash, or at bare, bare minimum, give him a, a me costume and, and give him a track or two that comes with the purchase of that. I'd be I'd be happy. Speaking of franchises that I want to hear more music of in Smash, uh, my final pick uh, is a game that's very, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's a franchise that. You know, yes. a bit of an obscure Nintendo franchise. I understand why it doesn't get that much rep, but like, I feel like this soundtrack—it's um, very well loved within the fandom. But uh, I'd, I'd like to see it get a bit more rep in Smash. So you know, people who sort of—I'm—I'm you know, I'm one of those people who really found out about a lot of music through Smash and, and playing Melee, and, and then later Brawl sort of really got me into. All right, well, what are these? What are these? These songs are great. I should, you know, look more into it, and they really helped me get into um, video game music. And, and I hope that people could find this through, you know, if not through this podcast, then you know, through Smash. The so the final song I've got for you today is uh, from one of the uh, one of the legends, uh, in my opinion, of the I guess JRPG scene. But he's, he's done a lot more. He's he's done uh, a lot of the Mario sports games uh, for for Camelot. Uh, and he's probably most famous these days for the Dark Souls uh, series. He's, he's the lead composer there. Uh, I am, of course, referring to Motoi Sakuraba, prog rock musician uh, turned JRPG composer. And uh, the song that I have uh, for you here is the song The Elemental Stars uh, from Golden Sun. Uh, this is one of my childhood favorites, one of, one of the first games I, I played on a real, actual, you know, non-PC console. Uh, and I've, I've just been wrapped with this soundtrack ever since. The thing I get you to sort of look out for whilst you're listening to this is uh, sort of similar to the last song. It's a, it's a Game Boy track and uh, a Game Boy Advance track, and, and as such, it, it sort of has to deal with the compression of the Game Boy Advance's sound chip. But it's a very mystical, very haunting uh, sort of melody. This, you're sort of in this area where you're encountering this higher power for the first time. And the way it sort of 
the way it sort of uses its, its tempo and, and sort of uh, its discordant notes alongside the compression really uh, sort of accentuates uh, the feeling of the track. This is such a stunning track and it, it reminds me of when I back in the day played the GBA I often didn't have the sound on because well I played in the car on a family road trip or been playing it in the lounge room and the TV would be on with my parents or my siblings watching something so I'd turn it down because well that was a polite thing to do and it it reminds me that I missed a lot of classic tracks like this because I I did play Golden Sun a bit in those days I didn't finish it until about 10 years ago so a bit later than that but when I did play Golden Sun I did make sure to turn or in full I, I made sure to turn the sound up and really enjoy the soundtrack because this is honestly one of Sakuraba's best soundtracks I'd argue there's some brilliantly composed tracks on this it's not as overdone as some of his tales of soundtracks or even things like Bat and Kytos can get to with his wailing guitars and his dueling guitars and just basically getting thousands of guitars in like an orchestra and just <laughs> going at it. I think that's Sakuraba's dream, just guitars to the wall. But this shows that he, ha he has a finesse to his composing ability that is quite special. Sakuraba having an entire orchestra full of guitars sounds like like my I'm gonna dream of that tonight. It's gonna be that'd be fantastic. But <laughs> I do appreciate uh, this, this, I think this is sort of like a really early indication of the kind of range he's, he's capable of, and, and um, you sort of see a lot more of that in Dark Souls, where he sort of doesn't bring up the guitar nearly as much. But um, you know, the when it comes to JRPG battle themes. Uh, especially Golden Sun. I mean, I, I could have brought in Isaac's battle theme, uh, Felix's battle theme, 
any of the bosses really and they've, they've all got a very similar like Sakuraba battle theme style to them with that you know you've got the guitars you've got the rock and electric pianos it's it's a very upbeat very uh fast-paced rocky kind of uh vibe to it that I, I feel like uh Sakuraba sort of brought his prior music experience to him when he started composing game music and sort of seeing that uh, influence his works and in turn influence the works of you know, composers that he's been working alongside composers that have worked under him like Ace uh, who've sort of been mentored by him uh, when they started out and then you know they went off and did Xenoblade and the rest is history it's kind of cool seeing how a com as a composer you can sort of come in bring your own style and sort of leave an impact on the fabric of game music uh, that you know would be would be felt from uh, for for years to come. Bring up your point you made before we listen to the song with this particular track. Fantastic, uh, I guess, awareness and a sense of again what the GBA could do and going for like you know sort of like windpipe slash sort of xylophony choices of instruments which don't feel too unnatural with that kind of like bit of an echo that uh the compression can sometimes cause i suppose uh and also just suits that that kind of mystical like uh vibe i suppose he's going for for the scene in the game that it that it plays uh and, and the chanting you know well obviously you know midi chanting still feels quite impressive for a, a handheld <laughs> little console so gives off that vibe not too dissimilar to um oh, the last game that i'm bringing when it, when that comes up uh i would say yeah most certainly and you sort of see that with some of the other uh, really good gba soundtracks like the uh, the castlevanias on their um how many dissonance aria of sorrow uh they take a very different approach to it because you know different composer and different styles but there's a, there's a sort of a melancholia that the the Game Boy Advance really worked well with, and I think uh, Sakuraba was one of the very first to try going down that path and and really succeeding with it with, with tracks like this. Uh, some of his other tracks on the album, like uh, I really like the Starting Town theme, Vale, sort of also uh, helped highlight his his ability to make some really nice, almost karma tracks that really show that even in, in the early days, I think this is Golden Sun's only released a couple of months out from launch. It was really early into the Game Boy Advance life cycle, sort of showing what you can do with the hardware from the start, really. Going back just quickly to, to Smash Brothers as well. Well, to move on to my final track, this is quite an iconic one for me because, again, like my previous choice, it is one from my childhood. It's one from one of my favorite games of that era and also one of my favorite franchises because I've spoken previously on this podcast about my love of James Bond 007 video games and you really can't go past the first one that really broke it out and the one that really got it on people's horizons as a video game franchise, of course, GoldenEye 007 on the Nintendo 64 and one of the great things about that game is that the soundtrack is just so perfectly crafted by Grant Kirkhope, Graham Norgate and Robin Beanland in that it uses the Bond motif music throughout its soundtrack, but it evolves that. It goes beyond that aspect of it. And it's what a lot of those Nintendo 64 games did in that era where 
you had licensed games in storied franchises like Star Wars, like James Bond, and they didn't necessarily have the rights to the music from the movies. So you had games like Rogue Squadron on the 64 and GoldenEye that, well, the composers for those games had to come up with their own tracks that encapsulated the spirit of the franchises. And that's what Grant Kirkhope and his and co achieve in this soundtrack in that these tracks could fit into a Bond movie. Like they wouldn't be out of place. And that's what I love about them. And the one I've chosen is the very first one you hear in the first level of the game, Damn, which just has some great 90s British music elements to it. it it's very much that it, it wouldn't have been composed in an era outside of the 90s and it wouldn't be composed by anyone other than British composers. I, I, I fully believe it. It very much has its influence escaped in that era, in that region. You're definitely right, Brendan, in that how it really taps into that golden eye. Uh, also, I should just say James Bond, really sort of musical tone, while clearly being, I guess, an original song. It kind of has that um, almost that uncanny valley element of like at points you're like, is this the the, the 007 theme? No, no, it's not. <laughs> and then uh, you sort of realise it's yeah, it is a completely original track. Not too dissimilar to when you see like people do kind of like fake takes on the happy birthday song because they don't want to pay the licensing fee and it's like oh, is this happy oh no it's not 
that this has done much better than a lot of those, for, for sure. One thing I find great about this track is that it, it fits the level in itself in that you're going through this dam and it's sort of infiltration, part infiltration and part or shooting your way through it. And there's part of this track that it, it almost sounds like you can hear those sort of clacks on sirens going before it goes to that sort of classic James Bond theme rip that it, it it's weaved throughout the song as well. It, and then you have that last crescendo at the very end. It really deserves to be... This is one of the tracks which I think applies to all the tracks we played today. It really deserves going and playing the game and listening to it in its full context because you, you get something from that context that you would completely miss otherwise. Yeah, I think the, one of the strengths of this track by leveraging the motif but also adding its own style is it really makes you feel like you're James Bond. And to, to sort of, as you mentioned, this is the first level in the game and, and sort of what a strong start to this game where you are James Bond and, and sort of this is, you get to, uh, it really sets you up at the start. You know, here we are, we're in the action. We know what we're about. This is what this game's about. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. It definitely makes me want to duck for cover behind some walls and then pop out and shoot some, some bad guys, some Russians or something. It's it's just got that kind of vibe to it, which is very specific, I suppose, for a vibe to have, but they've definitely nailed it. Every Bond up until Goldeneye was almost always evil Russians, so you're not wrong there. Was Goldeneye the first post-Cold War Bond? Yes. It's also around 96, right? Yeah, 95, I believe. That sounds better. So, yeah, that, that would make sense with the, why there were Russians up to that point, at least. The, one of the things that I find interesting about Goldeneye as a game, but also, also the music, but as a whole, normally when we look at movie games, like games that are tie-ins to movies, we usually treat them with cautious optimism at best. I, I think... Yeah. You know, yes. I've been burnt one too many times uh, in the past with uh, with movie tie-in games. GoldenEye seems to sort of be this unreachable sort of height of here is a game where they got the license and the devs like had the time and the money to really create the vision of what they wanted to create with this. Because the music itself is sort of a merge of game music sensibilities and sort of, you know, motif from a film score... I think it sort of help, helps highlight uh, some of the differences and similarities that game music has with the other genres. You know, as we we're saying at the at the beginning of, of the podcast, and you know, when when thinking about that, there's definitely like if if I was looking at if I was approaching this at a music theory level, which I'm not going to even attempt to because that's not my area of expertise. I, I like listening to the pretty music. I, I'd like to create more <laughs> of the pretty music, but that talent eludes me so far. Um, but if you think about it, like someone making a... Uh, actually, here's a good example. We've mentioned the Shovel Knight track, uh, soundtrack before, um, and that's composed by James Kaufman, also also known as Vert. I really like him. He, he sort of introduced me to the world of chiptune as a whole uh, through... 
Shovel Knight. But you, you listen to his Shovel Knight tracks and then you listen to some of the other stuff that he's made that's like just his album stuff. And you could I could easily see this kind of stuff being used on games. And, and you sort of, if, if you look at, uh, I guess, like TV shows and, and, and the like, they often get just songs that were made as songs and sort of repurpose them to fit their own box. And in that sense, you sort of, you know, all music sort of, it's not necessarily that any track could be fit for purpose for any particular type of medium, but it sort of gets me thinking about what makes game music game music in a sense. Yeah, I, I sort of get what you're going for, right? Like, while this is clearly a Bond song, it also is clearly not a Bond movie song, if that makes sense. Like, I can't... And maybe it's because it's MIDI, but I, I think it's more than that, if I'm being honest. But you wouldn't expect to hear this in the background of a um of a scene in a regular James Bond film. Yeah, I don't know if you have more to say on that, Brendan, being our resident uh, James Bond expert. No, I definitely agree, because whilst I, I did state that it wouldn't be out of place in a Bond movie, but at the same time it would be, because ultimately what helps video games transcend other media, and the same goes for video game music, is that you have the interactive element to it. You have that, not to say, it, well, not to keep on talking about it, but you have the repeatability of it. You, This isn't a level you just play once and then you won't go back to it with your time with the game. You most likely will finish it the first time and play it on different difficulties or show your mates when they come around, oh, yeah, this is a great game, like play this level, and you'll hear it over and over again. Whereas a movie soundtrack, music in movies are purely contextual often in that there'll be particular tracks played for particular moments and it will stress various emotions and it will make you feel or effective movie music and movie scores make you feel when certain things happen in the movie when there's a particular act occurring if it's the the sort of pivotal moment of the movie there'll be particular emotions it's trying to evoke and that's what the movie track soundtrack does so well whereas Game soundtracks are interested in that other aspect of emotions and that other aspect of trying to draw people into the music in that it's not going for necessarily that permanence of, well, you listen to it once and it stays with you. It it goes for permanence in a different way in that you listen to it multiple times and it sort of chips away at your soul in a way. (laughs) It chips away at you and it seeps into your brain and you remember it that way and it, it evokes more nostalgia that way because it you start to associate those tracks in that particular music with, with various memories of, oh, I remember when my brother and I were going through Goldeneye in like the early 2000s and we did that and we did this and we finished the game. And that's what video game music is able to do because of the different objectives at the heart of video game music. It's It goes back to your early 8-bit tracks. It goes back to your Koji Kondo, um, Super Mario Brothers, the first Legend of Zelda tracks that are just those repeatable, memorable loops that have become so iconic because of that fact and would be completely out of place in a movie. Like, if you went to a movie in the 80s and you heard Koji Kondo's Super Mario Bros. theme, you'd sort of walk out because you'd just be confused. I think, uh, yeah, that in, in relation to all of that, why I personally like game music so much is because... Gaming is my main sort of 
medium of choice, um, you know, as opposed to film or shows and stuff like that, because I like games so much, because I can find myself immersing myself in games at a much deeper level than I, I do other mediums. The music of games sticks with me a lot deeper because of the ability, my ability to immerse myself through it at a deeper level. Yeah, no, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's almost you connect a bit more to the music through the immersion you have and the connection you have to the game you're playing and the actions you're taking in it. I, I understand where that feeling probably comes from. Uh, and, and not to do a, a pretty sharp turn, but there's one thing I did want to say that, and this is going back to the start of the podcast, but this track and I guess the entire soundtrack for GoldenEye is actually a really perfect example of a... Uh, a soundtrack that's kind of stuck in a in a licensing nightmare, right? Because not only do you have questions around do you know does Grant and, and Co have any rights to the song, uh, then you have the question of does Nintendo have any rights to the song? Does um, you know who owns the rights to Goldeneye in terms of like video games now? MGM. So MGM is like the film studio, right? And then does anyone have the video game license i know that um io are doing the new game but is that published by like an activision or a ea or something i'm not too sure where, where that's io exclusively self-publishes now like they self-publish hitman so i assume their bond game is going to be a similar model all right so that's just been licensed directly by mgm to them i suppose fair enough well anyway, either way but it's just a soundtrack and, and a game honestly that's never gonna be able to break out of um of its original Nintendo 64 version, unfortunately. And it's where we, we're going to have to rely on fans to, again, rip and put this in places for people to access. Uh, but also, similarly, if we ever want to hear reorchestrated or remixed versions, it's, it's all going to be on fans. We're never going to get a, a Smash Bros. GoldenEye take or a uh, you know GoldenEye remake 2021 uh, take on any of these songs. So just, yeah, a really perfect example of uh, how these songs can potentially get lost to time for i wouldn't say better or worse it's just for worse if i'm being honest (laughs) definitely but we're coming to a close and i've got one more song and uh appropriately it's a it's a credits theme uh which is interesting because we were just talking about songs that have to sort of almost be ready for any sort of gameplay moment in a level or whatever whereas a credits theme is probably closer to a a film or a movie or soundtrack where, you know, the composer knows roughly or pretty much exactly what's going to be on screen at, at certain points uh, of, of the song itself. Uh, and while there are a lot of fantastic composers we did not get to feature tonight, uh, and we might have to eventually do a, a music episode round two to get to some of them, uh, I, I couldn't let Koji Kondo not feature uh, in our first episode because he at least from my perspective and, and, you know, obviously I'm a big Nintendo fan, but he is one of, if not the most legendary, I'd say composers in the medium, obviously composing, you know, the Mario theme, the Zelda theme, uh, as well as countless other Nintendo soundtracks. And and only has really started to, I think in the last probably five to six years, sort of take a bit more of a backseat in uh, the Nintendo composing world. And, and leave it up to some of the more younger ones. But, yeah, so many iconic video game songs come from from that man. Uh, and it was very tough to pick 
which song of his to features, but I, I ended up sort of cheating in a sense, uh, and I went with the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time uh, staff role or credits theme, and a big reason for that is one is it kind of incorporates bits and pieces of that entire soundtrack, which is a fantastic soundtrack, uh, and also it's a it's probably the game he's he's worked on that has the most direct link to music, right? Like the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is a very music focused game while not being a rhythm game and that that's obviously even just evident in the name with ocarina being a an instrument itself and that's that the zelda series has continued to have sort of big musical elements uh in it with you know wind waker uh and other other you know games featuring prominent instruments throughout the entire series history and it's probably you know i love my mario music but i would say zelda's probably a front runner when it comes to nintendo you know, Nintendo proper, we won't count your uh, outsourced, like, well, you know, Camelots and that kind of stuff who work on Nintendo IP, uh, but Nintendo in-house development, uh, it's, it, to me, Zelda's probably the front-runner series for amazing soundtracks. I always found it interesting how if you listen to this track and then you listen to 
if you listen to the credit track of Lilac Wars, Star Fox 64, there are, which was also composed by Kondo, it's very, there's some similar motifs there. Yeah, it's it's almost like the... Um, I don't know how to put it in musical terms, but there's certain string elements to both those tracks which give me the vibe of like a dawn of a new day like evil has been vanquished and where the sun's rising and the world's moving on kind of thing which is what you want in a uh, in an end credits theme right something that makes you go i've saved the day whether you're fox or or link i suppose uh it doesn't really matter you've 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 saved the world from evil and everyone's happy and moving on with life and I think that really hits on why this is a great credits track. Uh, combined with some real nostalgic sort of tones at the, at the start, uh, and then all leading up to what is basically a medley of the game's entire soundtrack almost, uh, and at the very least all the key themes, which I personally I think is one of the best ways of capping off a game, you know? Uh, stuff like Mario 64, for example, has I think are another really good and credits theme but it's a completely original song uh, and doesn't necessarily harken back to what you listen to throughout the game as much as this clearly does I feel like Zelda as a series has always been very good at recycling its motifs I mean you've got uh, Ocarina of Time especially you know is, is a game that's all around those Ocarina songs and which are built to be sort of like 10 second snippets that you play that extend into greater songs, and I feel like that set uh, Kondo up for really experimenting with the the different types of um, of motifs. You know, like, like Zelda's Lullaby, for example, and, and how he's played with that over the years in all the different games, and how it still sort of has the same connotations, uh, and you can bring it up, you know, later in later games, and it's still you still sort of get the same feeling. It's it's sort of interesting seeing how much Ocarina of Time has sort of laid the bedrock for that in the same way it laid the bedrock for you know the Zelda series as a whole. Oh, I 100% agree, and I think that's why people always go back to Ocarina of Time when they think of their favourite Zelda games. Of course, you have your contrarians that will go, oh no, it's not a good game. Link to the Past is better, Twilight Princess is better, whatnot, but there's just something timeless to Ocarina of Time, I think, from the gameplay to the locations to the soundtrack that just manages to typify Zelda, sort of the past Zeldas and the future Zeldas, which I guess is sort of analogous to the well, the theme of time travel in the game. But it, it, I think it does very much capture that idea. This is the past, present and future of the franchise all in one. Yeah, no, definitely agree. And... I think also looking at this track, I mean, sort of coming back to what I said before, it, it's really clear that that Kondo and I guess the development team took advantage of, they knew exactly what was going to be on screen at any point in time to, to really make sure the music or potentially the scenery, I don't know what came first, chicken or the egg, uh, matches together. Like, you know, when we're doing a bit of a medley of, of songs throughout the game, when the Goron village song comes up, they make sure to have Gorons right there. So it all sort of perfectly sort of summarizes your experience through that, you know, say 20, 30 hours of, of gameplay, depending on whether you went for all the golden sculptures, I suppose. 
and also just sort of something we've talked a bit about with the GBA and, and other other elements uh, again captures that sort of late 90s early 2000s heavy use of MIDI right before live orchestras and, and recordings of real instruments were really feasible uh, and they had to rely on that kind of compressed MIDI sort of instruments to be able to you know make these fantastic soundtracks and it, it doesn't hold it back at all I don't think um, and, and it's definitely got a, a nostalgic Maybe it's just because we grew up with it, but a nostalgic sort of vibe to it because of the use of those iconic, well, sort of iconic in this day and age, uh, MIDI instruments. No, tr- trust me. As someone like who's slightly too young for the Nintendo 64, it's still sort of... I, I still get that kind of nostalgic vibe from it, uh, it, it very much... It's, it feels of its time without feeling dated. It's it's you know it's 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 got that mint preservation sort of behind it. Um, just to sort of go back onto onto your previous point there, Zach. Uh, one of the things I really respect about uh, Koji Kondo as a composer is his uh, ability to create music to fit sort of the the, the situation of the game, as as, as you're sort of mentioning with the being able to sort of fit the music with, with the gameplay. Oh, it was a while ago now. I, I've read a bunch up on specifically uh, Kondo score for Super Mario Brothers, which uh, I'm sure needs no introduction, uh, especially not this year with all the uh, 35th anniversary stuff they keep throwing at us every which way. Yeah, no excuse to not play a version of Super Mario Brothers at this point. <laughs> yeah, April 1st next year, sure. But right now, uh, all the options are available to you. Um, anyways, when Kondo sat down to work on Super Mario Brothers, um, the concept of sort of merging music and gameplay, you know, it existed, but like video game music wasn't really much of a score back in the early, uh, early 80s. You'd have it'd either be you know like part of the starting a track feature and then there'd be no music afterwards you know like your Pac-Man you know very limited like Donkey Kong and so what Kondo brought was applying music theory to video game music like to start with um, and creating some original compositions rather than sort of leaning on existing songs or, or, or sort of more simple uh, standalone beats and I feel like that helped really helped contribute to Super Mario Brothers' success obviously the game itself is, is fantastic and really a, a watershed moment in gaming but um, the music in that really helps elevate it to the next level and I feel like it's that level of craft that Kondo has really brought to all of his soundtracks over the years, uh, including Ocarina. I think with that note of us discussing a master composer and a, one of the great soundtracks of the era, I think we should bring this episode to a closing conclusion, don't you think, Zach? Yeah, it seems like an apt way to, to finish it off. I mean... I mean, it was, it was, I don't know what, what it was like for you guys, but it was like choosing our children tonight, our favorite kids. It's, it's so hard to pick only three songs, even when putting parameters like 2020 on for one of them. Um, 
Uh, we usually could have done a 20-hour podcast, I reckon, uh, if, if we wanted to. So, it, you know, let us know your thoughts, audience. If you like listening to music tracks and just having some commentary on it, it might be a, a topic we revisit again in a, in a future episode um, and try and highlight some of the countless other composers uh, and musicians and whatnot that have contributed to this this medium from a musical perspective because there are so many legends like that we did not get to even touch on their music and, and franchises that we could we would love to feature so I feel like y'all could do an entire episode on Shimamura. yeah oh you could oh and, and Uematsu yeah <laughs> oh man we we definitely could, and maybe that's maybe that's how we tackle it going forward. Um, have a have, we could have a Koji Kondo episode, a Shimamura, you know, Uematsu, David Wise episode. I'd love to do as well. To, oh my uh, god, David Wise! Yeah, there's oh, Wise, some good ones. Um, but yeah, John, thanks again um, for for joining because you know uh, your your insight as a music a video game music listener is, is definitely appreciated and. Uh, I look forward to uh, future, you know, our, our little quizzes of, of which track is that or which game is that from, um, which we sometimes do. I'm looking forward to getting some more from you personally <laughs> at some point. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopefully uh, putting one together that's going to encompass uh, the gaming music of 2020. So if, if that's something that you're interested into, then... Uh, Keep an eye out on Sporkle. It'll show up eventually. And if, uh, I mean, up to you, but do you want to plug your, your Twitter or anything if uh, people might want to have a more direct way of finding when you when you finish that? Sure thing. Yeah, no. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm John. Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Aura Paladin. I occasionally post my thoughts on things, uh, on games I've played and, retweet a bunch of cool stuff i find on there um and uh yeah that's that's sort of uh, where you'll find me awesome thanks john and uh if you want to find brendan or i uh you can definitely do so you can follow the podcast at blow cart pod on both facebook and twitter and if you wanted to contact us you can either contact us directly on those various social medias or email us at blowingcartridge at gmail.com but if you personally want to reach out to me uh, and throw out some you know your favorite video game tracks or tell me how I picked wrong songs um, or how could I have not have mentioned do X composer do it (laughs) Um, why didn't we put the buck bumble theme in you know you can you can reach out to me (laughs) at eggerino on twitter and brendan do you want to plug yourself what about now? It's time to rock with the Bickety Buck Bumble. <laughs> you can find me at Tamazoid on Twitter. And most importantly, if you do want to listen to the Buck Bumble theme song, which I promise to play again on our podcast, if you do one thing, and that one thing is go to Apple Podcast, leave a five-star review, leave a written review, talk about why this is a great podcast, give us some feedback on how... We can improve the podcast. Give us some feedback on how we can kidnap your family, friends, and loved ones so they will listen to blowing cartridges on loop because we're all about those metrics. We're all about being the largest podcast known to man. So 
help us in our goal and you will be rewarded. Yeah, get us to the point of notoriety where we get cease and desist orders about playing these video game songs on our podcast. <laughs> we will wear it with a badge of honor. We want to join Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> free Jeff. Hashtag free Jeff 2021. Hashtag free Jeff, <laughs> Hashtag free Jeff 2020. We will start a revolution. I probably should make sure. I mean, I'm sure there's countless Jeffs in jail. I'm just like, are we accidentally endorsing like a a mass murderer or some sort of, you know, horrible human being, but... Jeff Bezos is a stand-up bloke. I don't know who y'all had in your heads, but I just had Jeff from the Wiggles. <laughs> uh, I'm going to admit... Wake up, Jeff, Taser, Taser. <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty... That's pretty appropriate. My dad's name's Jeff, so that didn't help for me. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Um, so that's who I pictured. He's probably been tasered once, I'm sure. I'll ask him. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thanks everyone for, for listening. For what may be a long episode. It's kind of hard to tell with the music how this turns out. But we'll be back next week. Uh, and only a couple of episodes left in the year. So we'll start to talk about some Christmassy things and potentially some sort of you know, wrap-ups for the the year of 2020 in gaming in the next few weeks, I would have thought, Brendan. Um, so if those are things you're interested in, listen. If they're not, listen anyway, because uh, we'll make them interesting for you. <laughs> what about now? It's time to rock with the bigger debug. Bumble. What about now? It's time to rock with the bigger debug. Bumble. Bump to the bump to the bump to the bass. Bump to the bump to the bump Bump to the boot to the boot to the boot, bump to the bass of the bass, 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 b
Bump to the boot to the bump to the bass. Bump to the boot to the. 